Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Nishabora, uh, Rainbow Plant Life, um, the place that you teach people to master vegan cooking at home and has been near and dear to a lot of people on my team's um, radar, near and dear to their heart, I should say, on our radar for a long, long time. I'm going to read a very long list of accolades and credits to your name, but first and foremost, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. It's great to be here. So here's here's a fun one. I'm not even gonna pretend to make this like a, a something I've memorized, but uh, of course you um, uh, went to UC Berkeley and Harvard Law School after getting a degree in political science. I got a degree in political science as well, and neither one of us clearly are, are utilizing <laughs> that undergraduate education because somehow we're gonna we're gonna get to this. Uh, you went from Harvard Law to teaching people to cook on YouTube, which is so <laughs> awesome. And your work has been featured in CNN, BuzzFeed, Forbes, Glamour, Women's Health, Elle, uh, Well and Good, Food 52, Veggies Magazine. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, it is such an amazing career. Um, congratulations, but we got to start with, how did you go from lawyer to food blogger? I mean, just walk us through that, that start. Yeah. Well, thank you for your kind words. And so growing up, I was always very studious. I loved school. Uh, my parents are immigrants from India and education kind of anchored everything that we did. And it never felt forced. I really enjoyed school. By the time I got to college, I think I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. So I studied political science. Uh, I got to law school really eager. I had done a few internships in college where I was using the law to like what I felt like to help people to like improve people's lives. And I was like, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to help people. And the law seems like a good avenue to do that. Loved law school, loved the academic environment, loved like the thought process. Then it got time to practice law. And I was like, oh, wait, this is so different. And I practiced two different types of law, corporate law at a big Wall Street firm, and then nonprofit law, which was more aligned with my values, but both were just really defeating, very, I don't know, soul crushing in a way that um, <laughs> is, I think, common for a lot of folks who are lawyers, but also because they practice such different types of law, I got to see how stacked the legal system is towards the status quo, towards maintaining power um, amongst wealthy corporate actors and how difficult it is to, to affect social change, which is what I wanted to do. And uh, I was just really unhappy the whole time. And so I kept grasping for things like to make myself feel happier and ultimately came to the realization that like, I need to find a new career. And I had always loved food. I started cooking as a teenager and hosting dinner parties uh, and what I call feasts with my family and friends and cooked for my friends in college and law school. And so I was like, I'm just going to start cooking as a way to nourish my soul and to like give myself a creative outlet. I started posting photos on Instagram. This was in 2016 and really just thought of it as a creative outlet until it started to sort of gain some traction and lots of people were interested in my work. And so then I kind of used that as a launching pad to be like, okay, maybe I can apply to some jobs in the food world. And um, I was able to find a job at a vegan food startup in New York city 
where I started doing content creation and recipe development and food photography, lots of different things, and really was just building Rainbow Plant Life on the side in its infancy. Um, but it basically was able to use my Instagram account to like jump out of out of law. Oof, we could spend the next hour. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot to unpack there if you want. Or yeah, not. I mean, I I do. I want to be respectful of um, our audience, who I'm sure wants to hear um, tips and tricks in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> that's at least what my team wants to hear. You have a bunch of fans, as I mentioned. Um, but maybe we can just spend a minute because you you spoke to something that I think is is so important, which is how the system is stacked to kind of maintain the status quo, you know, heavily favor the incumbents, that sort of thing. Maybe you can just speak to that because I, I, I get what you saw, you know, as you know, practicing corporate law and then nonprofit law, like, man, that must have been very, very different. Um, you know, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your experience and, and if you want to venture an optimistic conclusion of, you know, how do we change it then? Yeah. So when I was practicing corporate law, I worked for a really large firm and most of our clients were multinational banks who we were supposed to defend or investigate internally. It was very clear that they had committed numerous violations, like really lots of bad things. I mean, you, I wasn't doing, I wasn't working on any cases that were directly related to the mortgage financial crisis of 2007 and eight, but like you know, they were doing lots of bad things and it was so easy for them to get off scot-free or to get just to pay some penalties, which is not that big of a deal because they have so much money. And then when I worked in nonprofit law, I represented low-income tenants in New York city. Who's the only thing they did wrong, honestly, was just be too poor, like be too poor to afford rising rent prices in New York city. And even though there were lots of protective laws on the books for tenants in New York city, I saw how hard it was to enforce those in court. I saw how easy it was to manipulate the legal system. If you didn't have access to resources and access to power, um, to be able to get things to go your way. And so I think having those very disparate experiences was really like very eye-opening um, to my previous naive self was like, oh, I can use the law as this like concrete tool to change things. Uh, there are still wonderful people obviously doing work in the space to affect social change using the law. Uh, and I have the utmost respect for them. It just wasn't the path that I saw for myself because I still want to help people. And I hope that I'm helping people through my current work. Um, but I felt like the law was, was not going to be the tool that I could use personally to help people. Yeah, it is. I recently heard someone talk about the relative, the, the relativity of financial fines, right? Where like we level a fine, you know, I think Meta Facebook just got fined like a billion dollars, you know, in Europe for, for violating data privacy laws, you know, but it's like, if the organization is making $300 billion a year, right? Like, you know, it's kind of like a tax on doing business, right? Like it's just, and and that's the unfortunate reality that we live in is that so many, I mean, I, I guess it's good because I don't think you want to send people to jail for, for you know, but like what, what else do you do, right? Like, you know, I mean, you, you find the money, but if they have that much money, it doesn't change behavior. And it's a really... Yeah, it's a it's a tough, tough problem. So, um, okay, 
So you were on Instagram. You're able to jump off of the, I think your words, uh, soul crushing <laughs> um, uh, career path that you were on. And then what what was the point at which you you decided, hey, I, I, I could actually make a, a career out of this, out of teaching people to cook with with YouTube, which I, I think is now you know, your, your biggest channel, but, but of, of course you, you speak to millions of people every week uh, across all these different um, social media platforms. So what, what was the turning point? Like, what was the day, if you can yeah. go back in your mind that you're like, <laughs> yeah. huh, what if this is my life now? You know? Sure. Yeah. So I probably side hustled, I side side hustled like the, the food startup and my and rainbow plant life for two and a half years in retrospect, I could have made the leap earlier, but as a former lawyer who grew up with immigrant parents, I'm very risk averse. And so for a while it w- I was like in my head, like, I don't know if I can ma- actually like make this a sustainable living, even though I had proof that like, I've seen other people do it. I figured I could be able to like, I figured I would figure things out, but I still felt like, oh, I just, I don't know if I'm ready. But then my cookbook, my first cookbook came out in the summer of 2019. Uh, and that just kind of felt like this accomplishment, like this, I don't know, like it's hard to, it's hard to have benchmarks in this new industry of like, what does success look like? And how do you know when you have reached a certain level? But I felt like publishing a cookbook was a good enough benchmark for that. And so I felt like, okay, this is, this feels like the right time. And so shortly after that, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a chance. Even if I'm not making very much money on my own business right now, I think I can figure it out. So uh, that was kind of the time where I was like, we're going we're gonna to figure it out. And I had lived pretty conservatively in terms of my means and not spending outside of my means. And so I had saved money from being a lawyer and having worked um, you know, for many years at that point. So it was scary because I wasn't making that much money, but I was also like, I can figure this out and I have some money set aside. Yeah. Any advice to someone who has a, a creative pursuit? I mean, that's what I, 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 I look at, you know, the gift you're giving, it's probably a form of, of mental health counseling, you know, um, home ec education <laughs> and art, right. Some sort of, but, but if someone is thinking about, following in your footsteps any advice for them would you say just do it you'll figure it out or be careful and side hustle for the longer I I would say a couple things I would say first know your why like know why you're doing this and know why you're interested in it I think like especially with the rise of social media as this big explosion that so many people are doing there's, especially with young people, I hear from lots of parents of teens who are like, I just want to be a YouTuber. I just want to be a TikToker. And of course, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I hope, you know, I am a YouTuber, but um, (laughs) I think having your why, like what, what motivates you? Why do you want to do this? Whether it's creating vegan cooking content or it's, you know, creating music or something different, like, because you don't have that at the back of your mind, like what motivates you? What gets you excited to wake up in the morning. Um, you can get lost and you can also feel like the worth is the work is just not worth it. Like being a content creator, it's a lot of work and I love it. So it's absolutely worth it. But if you don't love it and if you don't know, like, what is it that you want to achieve with what you're doing? It can kind of feel like a slog. Um, the other thing I would say is to like, 
be really inquisitive. Like people love talking about themselves and what they do. And so if there's someone who works in the space or does the, has the career that you want, reach out to them. Chances are they'll give you time if you meet them on their terms and just chat with you about what they do. I did a ton of informational interviews when I was first trying to figure out like, what can I do besides law? Uh, Some of them didn't lead anywhere, but some of them got me asking myself questions like those big, important questions. Like, what do I actually want to do? And like, what am I actually good at? And like, how can I channel the skills that I'm good at that might not necessarily be in the creative world because I have no formal creative experience, but how can I channel the skills I do? do have into something creative and you'll get a lot of information from people, um, about what they do, but also about like, it'll help you understand whether that's actually what you want to do. Cause you might think, Oh, I'd love to work as a chef in a restaurant. And then maybe you interview a chef and it's like, Oh my God, that sounds terrible. Like I can't imagine being on my feet for 12 hours a day in a hot, sweaty kitchen. Like, and that can help you figure and narrow down what is that you actually want to do. And then more practically, like I was saying, like, if you do want to break away from your corporate job or whatever it is, your office job, whatever your day job is, like, it does help to be financially, you know, conservative to build up a little bit of a nest egg so that when you do take the big leap, you're not, you you don't feel like you're not going to make rent if you don't make money in your first year, right? Like sometimes as a creator, you don't make money in those, in that first year, or even that second year, um, or you make just a little bit. And so having some money set aside and living below your means certainly helps. Um, that's like my boring, um, but very practical tip, I would say. Yeah. Well, well spoken. A lot of those resonate with me. Um, I can tell you, I had more than one entrepreneurial endeavor where I didn't make any money for many years. And, you know, um, there's, there's other ways to survive, you know, um, loved ones. I was thankful my wife supported me through at least one or two of those <laughs> so, yeah. different, different strategies. Um, uh, yes. but, but, um, Be yeah, resourceful. Uh, exactly. Um, uh, or just beg your wife to to support you. One of the two. Um, I was very fortunate to be in that position. Um, tell me what what was your why, and what is your why now? And I'll ask a third one because I think you know this touches on something that outside of my my nerdy nutrition science day job. You know, I think a lot about mindfulness and and purpose and happiness. Right, um, because we have a we have a an epidemic of ill health as well as unhappiness in this mm-hmm. country as we look at mental health and everything else. So I, I think it's just it's interesting because a lot of people do look at you and and a lot of the next generation, you know, they aspire to be YouTubers. So I'm curious, like, how did you discover your why? You know, what was it at that time? How did you know that was that? Right, like, how did you have that conviction, and has it evolved? I mean, take any. Any any part of that splattering of of questions, and then, um, but before you answer that meaningful question, I just want to confirm: Does your LinkedIn say YouTuber? Is that the official like oh, your business card? I don't think I've updated my LinkedIn in a long time. I'm not sure what it says, to be honest. Yeah. So, it's I, like, it, uh, yeah. I wonder if it's in the dictionary yet. Is YouTuber yeah. like a formal it's word? Be now? Like the- I mean, it has to be right. I feel like yeah. it was probably added at some point. If not, it will be as well as, well as TikToker. 
Um, your, your next book deal should be Harvard Law to YouTuber, right? <laughs> I can I can already see the autobiography. It's going to be awesome. So I'm sorry. Talk about talk about your why and how it's evolved. Yeah. So I went vegan the same year that I started posting to Instagram, and I feel like like a lot of people who go vegan, it was just this eye-opening moment, like, oh my God, like this is what we do to animals. This is how it impacts the earth. Like, you know, just all of these big picture realizations. And it really fundamentally changed my life in a way that like, I felt more aligned with my values. I felt happier. I felt like I was living more of an authentic life. And so because I had all these big picture realizations and this huge shift in my life, I was like, I want people to know how amazing it can be to be vegan. But I think when I first started out with content creation, I didn't know exactly how to channel that passion and that interest. And so I think looking at my early content, it is a little scattered and it's like not very coherent. And I didn't exactly know how to communicate that message with people. Uh, and it wasn't until I kind of got clear on how do I want to inspire people to go vegan that I started to see a lot more success and a lot more results with my content. And it came down to like, if you can cook the most delicious, satisfying meal and it's vegan, like, why wouldn't you at least be curious to eat more plants, even if you're not ready to take the full leap right now. And so it started to just be like, okay, I want to teach people how to cook the best vegan food with the hopes that they're either going to go vegan or eventually go vegan, or at least eat fewer animal products. And once I was able to kind of crystallize that, I felt like it started to resonate with people. But I think the, the hard part is, is being able to crystallize uh, your passion into a value proposition. I know that sounds like really marketing and weird, but um, once, once I did that, I was it started to fall into place, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And I'm curious, though, because I think I saw somewhere that you made the transition after binge watching 10 documentaries on factory farming. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to take a brief tangent out on the, the vegan journey, um, it, it's interesting because that's what changed you, right? It changed your mindset. Um, but you didn't go that direction, right? Uh, you didn't become a d- documentarian and say like, I want to, I want to shine a bright light on this. I want to become, you know, a vocal activist, right? You, you went, you know, more with the, the, the magnet, so to speak, right? The delicious food to bring people mm-hmm. in. I, I, I'm just curious, maybe if you can reflect on that and, and yeah, maybe, um, maybe there's nothing there, but, but certainly I, I think it is the more, um, those documentaries certainly are powerful, um, but you know it's often what I say because I, I help out at an animal sanctuary I'm on the board at, and you know my why in that endeavor is like you know if you come to veganism as I did with totally self-interested motives, right? Like I just want to live a long time, right? I, I just <laughs> want to be there for my three kids, like I. I want to give back. I want to have energy, right? I want to, I don't want to suffer from unnecessary diseases. It's like, that's why, you know, that is such a flippant way. Like it's so flimsy, I should say, you know, Um, because as soon as I believe something else is actually better for my longevity, I change. Like there's no staying power, but 
as soon as you connect with animals or as you did with understanding that that factory farming is just so i mean just literally torturous for these sentient beings like you make that change and so but for us like we never talk about that stuff with french we never you know are, are kind of vocal about that stuff um you know instead for me it's like get them to a sanctuary get them to play with a 400 pound pig like let me <laughs> tell you they they will have a different view of bacon right like yeah. you know or you know feed them some you know banana peel bacon right <laughs> and like help them see their alternatives it's such a wonderful way to bring people into this this lifestyle so i'm just curious like factory farm was the trigger but then you decided no i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna cook to bring people in yeah well so i did try the former approach a little bit not to, to become a documentarian because i don't think that i would have the skills for that or at least did not think i would um but i did try to tell people i was like do you guys know what we do to animals let me tell you <laughs> that is not a, like a great recipe to become a popular person like you know yep. most people don't want to hear that uh and like the reason the documentaries worked for me is because i was like open to at least watching one uh and because i have just always been interested in documentaries and like social change and things like that. Uh, so I was kind of open to it to begin with, but I tried, you know, I would talk to family and friends to be like, guys, it's really bad. Like, do you guys know? Like, and it was like kind of either falling on deaf ears. Like, I don't want to hear it or like almost combative, you know, if you've ever tried to change someone's political opinion on something, you know, how hard that is. And oftentimes it makes things worse. And I felt like, I just was not getting anywhere with that approach. And so I was like, well, I have to change gears, figure out something else. I've always loved cooking, right? So like, let me lean into that angle. I've always loved feeding my family and friends. And so why don't I just try feeding my family and friends vegan food and like watching how excited and receptive they are to that. Uh, and so for me, like it was partly like, hey, this isn't working, but also I have this skill uh, that I can use to communicate my message in a different way. Um, and that's what I do on YouTube and, you know, Instagram and things like that. Um, when people ask me why I'm vegan, it's not like I'm like shying away from, I'm more than happy to chat about it, but it's usually not the entry point for the conversation because in my experience, it's, it's, you know, people don't like feeling judged, you know, right. that, that they're doing the wrong thing. Well, like, I mean, not to promote animal sanctuaries everywhere, but what I always say is like, there is enough traumatic footage of animal cruelty online at this point that if that was going to do the trick, like the whole world would be vegan, Sure, you know, yeah. but like most people don't want to see that. Right. But like most people want to go play with animals, you know, yeah. like yeah. most people can make that connection and, and definitely all people want to eat delicious food. So yeah. I, I, I think you made the right decision there. Um, I, I want to get into some of the practical stuff. By the way, I mentioned to you, and I never brought it back and we've gone deep into um, important topics. But so, so like half of our team is are huge fans of your work. I didn't know this prior to today when I shared that I would be talking to you. And one is actually kind of had a 
a fanboy moment. Um, he's apparently followed you for many years and uh, was living in San Diego and saw you at a bookstore, but was too shy to say hi. (laughs) So if anyone's listening, please always say hi. I uh, hope that I appear, come off as friendly. I love meeting people, uh, especially in a bookstore. It's a great place to just chat. So yeah. 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 Well, I just thought that was, that was awesome because it just goes to show you that, um, you know, I, I regularly publicize my cell phone number and I get customers who call me and not that many. I mean, for the thousands of people that we work with every single month, like not that many people actually call. They probably think it's like fake, right? That they're going <laughs> to yeah. they're gonna get some call center, you know, in, in Singapore. But like, no, it's, it's actually and it's so fun to talk to people mm-hmm. who are like, oh, you know, like I really like this or that. And anyway, so. Yeah, um, I but I, I thought I'd share with that because your your work does have a huge impact. But I know the numbers get so big that you don't realize like these are individuals. And, mm-hmm. and so anyway, I wanted to I wanted to share that with you. Um, thinking about your your cooking philosophy, um, they're really interesting tenets, I guess you call it. And feel free to fact check me because <laughs> can't believe everything you you uh, um, send the internet. But you're you're worth it. Um, seasonality and it's all about layering so Mm -hmm. you have such a deep repertoire of of recipes and skill sets and and I love that you were able to boil it down to those three things why why those three things and feel free to take them all at once so we can go one by one that's that's a good question so one you're worth it to me like food to me brings so much joy and it brings people together. It like, it's really, really just a meaningful, lovely way to like bring people together, but also to like enjoy on a daily basis. Like, uh, personally, I had a history of eating disorder when I was a teenager and the disordered eating for many years after. And now that I am fully healed and recovered, like I just love food so much in a way that I think that like it's exciting and it brings joy. And so I just always want to celebrate it. And I think that you should feel worth it. Like you're worth the best version of a particular recipe if that's what you want, right? Like if you really want to satisfy the craving for, I don't know, mac and cheese or chili um, or like, I don't know, chicken tikka masala. I'm just trying to think of comfort foods. People like, like, I think that it's you're worth the best version of that recipe. It might require a few extra steps. And so maybe it's not something you make every Monday night, but I think that if you want a particular dish you and you want to feel like you're not giving anything up on a plant-based diet, then you're worth it. Like you're worth the extra few steps it takes or the, um, a couple extra spices it takes to really achieve the best version of that dish. Um, and again, like if you only have 10 minutes on a Tuesday that like, you know, this isn't something you have to live by every day, but I do think that, um, taking a few extra minutes sometimes can make a world of a difference and can make you just feel so much more grateful and so much happier about the food that you're eating. Uh, let me, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll pause you there because, um, I think that, uh, the Instagramification of the world um, <laughs> is causing untold harm, right? I mean, we know this, the Surgeon General recently, you know, in an unprecedented statement saying that there's there's real harm there, you know? 
And we've kind of probably always known that deep down that when you see, you know, literally the photoshopped version of someone, right? Like that's really tough for teenagers to not understand that like life isn't about, you know, having that kind of body or driving that kind of car or, you know, creating the most beautiful dish ever, right? Which like certainly, um, uh, you know, I look at the dishes that you create, I'm like, I could never do that. Um, so, so I want you to, to speak to two things. Um, one, maybe bring us behind the curtain with that in mind. Like, how do you eat every day? Because I assume you spend three hours for breakfast, three hours for lunch, <laughs> and three hours for dinner. You eat for one hour after <laughs> cooking for three hours, and then you go to bed at eight, right? <laughs> like, I, that's just, that's how I envision you. Sure. So is that, is that? a day in the life? No, no. So one, I would say food photography and videography is like a skill like anything else. And so the reason it looks beautiful is because I've spent time styling it and playing with the light and editing all that stuff. So like food, food coloring, makeup for the food, right? right? Like when you say styling, (laughs) I, I only like style with edible stuff. I'm not like using hairspray or motor oil or anything like that, but like if you've ever like prepared a dish for a dinner party versus your own just regular dinner, you know that you take a little more time to like make it look nice and things like that. So everything that I make looks better than it would if you were just making it for yourself and looks better than I make it for just myself to eat for on a regular basis. Um, and then I would say when it comes to like what I eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I just eat what we recipe test. So like that's, obviously like a very nice benefit of the job, but like during the week, one of the things I rely on is like not meal prepping in the traditional sense, but like prepping a couple of staples. So like a really flavorful sauce, one protein, maybe one vegetable, maybe one grain. Sometimes if I only have 10 minutes, it'll just be a sauce. And I use those to like build quick lunches or something like that. So it's not so much of a, Oh, have to make this whole recipe from scratch kind of thing. And I have a video on that, uh, from a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, on like how you can use little building blocks like that to still make really delicious meals during the week, but that are a little less pressure, less stress, less time. And so when you say, um, not meal prep in the traditional sense, but still probably like bulk cooking in some ways where you're going to cook extra you know, cauliflower, when you're roasting it for some recipe, you're just going to have that in your fridge and you're going to have some extra of a grain or a sauce or whatever. And so when you're in that time crunch, you just kind of throw it all together. And, you know, it's, uh, um, that's kind of how you approach a lot of lunches. And it sounds like. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I don't have time to do anything besides a sauce or condiment, but I find that the more, like condiments I have in my fridge or my pantry, the more creativity there is. Cause it might just be like, Oh, leftover cooked rice, but I have these three amazing condiments and like maybe some edamame and it becomes this delicious meal that like sounds really boring to have rice and edamame, but then you have like, I don't know, chili crisp. And then you have like fried shallots. I don't know. Just like things that you're like, Oh wow, this feels like so much more gourmet because I am not someone who's going to just like eat rice and beans plain. Like I, no, can't do yeah. it. 
Well, it's in keeping with your brand, right? Me, on the other hand, you know, I'm the the quinoa beans and like hot sauce. I'm like, <laughs> call it a day. You know, if if I don't have leftovers that my my wife uh, um, left from the 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 night before, like I'm, you know, smoothies smoothie gets me through. So, um, yeah. which is why I'm so excited to to learn from you. And I want to just get um, to one other practical thing because again, I think a lot of people just they get intimidated by cooking, um, particularly plant-based cooking, because we kind of grow up, or at least most people have, in this country have grown up with a couple of staples maybe that they used to cook. Certainly that was that was my case with like the barbecue, right? Like, I don't know, it just um, fell into that stereotype for, for a, a male in this country, but like I could cook fish and chicken, all these things on, on the barbecue, then now I don't, right? And I tried to put quinoa on a barbecue and it didn't really work out. Actually, it just <laughs> kind of falls down. It's a huge flame. Um, <laughs> um, no, I'm not that bad. I, I can do pastas, pizzas, pancakes. It's all the papa. I'm papa. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. so back to intimidation. Um, how much variability is in your diet? Do you have a couple of staples that are just like, you know, I always eat these five meals every week. And then there's, I mean, again, you're doing recipe testing, so you're probably constantly adding, but I'm just, I'm just curious again, just out of thinking about what, what is the life of a, of a YouTuber? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of variety. I will say that because we're one, we're testing recipe recipes constantly. Uh, but also I'm not someone who really wants to eat the same few things all the time. Uh, there are certain categories of things I'll gravitate towards. So like, I feel like often I'll do some sort of fried or baked tofu with some sort of like seasoning and I'll have that fairly often, but it's usually some, something different, like tofu's cut differently. It's cooked differently. You know, there's different spices. Um, I usually will do some sort of massaged kale at the start of the week so that I actually eat my greens. Cause if I buy the kale, but it's not ready then it just like wilts in the fridge. Uh, but, but for the most part, I feel like I enjoy variety so much. So sometimes I'm eating curry. Sometimes I'm eating noodles. Sometimes I'm eating salads. Sometimes I'm eating tacos. Um, and it just keeps things exciting, especially because my partner's not vegan, but eats pretty much vegan when, like when we're home, because I do all the cooking. Uh, and so it's really nice to have the variety for both of us. Cause I know that if I'm just like, Hey, we're, we're eating another grain bowl today, uh, with kale and sweet potatoes. And he's going to be like, you know, that's not really what I want. And like, he will definitely would want to order takeout or something more often. And so having the variety satisfies my urge, but also like it works for him and it helps him to eat vegan, like 90, 95% of the time. That's awesome. He liked out, but We'll, we'll, we'll skip over that. Um, seasonality. Why, why, why is it important to eat with the seasons? I try as much as I can to do that because it just tastes better. Like if there's one thing you can do to improve your cooking that doesn't require any extra time or doesn't require any new skills for you to learn it's to eat with the seasons because like your produce was grown in the peak season. So it's going to taste fresher. It's going to taste better, sweeter, more flavorful. Uh, and so the reason zucchini is amazing in July 
is that it's like, it can get nutty and sweet and like jammy and break down. But if you buy it in January, it's just like, it tastes like water in cardboard form. And so if, especially if you were looking to eat more plants, if you are eating a vegan diet, like vegetables are a huge component of that. And so if you can eat vegetables and fruits in the seasons that they're meant to be, you're just going to enjoy your food more. And how about layers? You don't often think about layers. Are you referring to sauces or tell me about layering? Um, more like in the process of cooking. So one example I would say is, okay, let's say you want to make a lentil bolognese. I have lentil bolognese on my, on my blog. So that's why I'm using it. One option is to just kind of like mix your onions and your garlic and your lentils and your oregano and your red pepper flakes in a big pot and let it come to a simmer and then your tomatoes and be done with it. In my opinion, it's not going to taste very good, but if you start with, let's say, okay, we're going to start with our onions sauteing in some oil. We're going to add a pinch of salt there. Okay. That's one layer. Then we're going to add our garlic. We're going to let that cook down for a couple minutes until it starts to get golden. That's another layer. Then we're going to add some red pepper flakes and some chopped fresh thyme and oregano or dried thyme, oregano, whatever. That's another layer. Now we're going to maybe deglaze with some red wine. That's going to like enhance the meatiness of the lentils. It's going to add this nice acidity. That's another layer. Then we're going to add maybe our lentils at this point. Oh, wait, no, maybe we'll add some tomato paste and we'll click that down for a couple minutes. And that's going to boost the umami of the lentils. So you're just like adding in all these layers, even before you get to the main ingredient, the lentils. So you just end up with such a more complex tasting dish that is going to satisfy the craving for a quote bolognese, if that's what you want. And so uh, this is just something I apply to any time I cook is like, seasoning and layers. Sometimes that just might be like add a little salt here and then taste again and add a little salt, but sometimes it might be a little more complex, which I was talking about. And do you have a, uh, a natural six cents, six cents on what to add next, or do you follow recipes? I mean, obviously if you're developing a recipe, (laughs) which is, I'm curious if you want to speak to that briefly, like you know, do you have any guinea pigs or are, are you the the guinea pig as you're adding and then you just, it goes wrong. You're like, ah, throw it out, you know, or give it to my, my partner and I got to start again. How does that work? Yeah. So I put a lot of work up front into the recipe development phase. So by the time we, I test, I have a recipe tester, um, but by the time either she or I test the recipe for the first time, I'd say 90 of the time it's going to be good or at least edible, if not good. Like, (laughs) so test two is then like, okay, like here are the four things that we want to change, but usually test one, it tastes good enough to eat, even if it's not the best version that I want to share, because I'm doing a lot of upfront thought process, thinking, whatever you want to call it about like what flavors work well together. And when do these ingredients go in succession? And part of that is learned, like, Uh, just over the years, having tested and uh, tried so many recipes. And part of that is like, if it's a recipe or cuisine that I'm not as familiar with, I'll do a ton of research and be like, okay, how do people normally make this recipe? What order do they do things? What role do certain ingredients play? And I often look at like, if it's a traditional recipe, like a non-vegan version, I usually look at those first because I want to understand like, what do, what role does like the meat play or what role does the dairy play, you know, like try to understand that. So then I can conceptualize, okay, how can I recreate those flavors and textures 
um, in a way that makes sense here. So I kind of bring my lawyer brain to, to recipe I was gonna development, say that, if that makes sense. You took it away from me. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like looking at case law and trying <laughs> to construct an argument, you know, but then there's obviously there's, there's the art and the persuasion and the narrative that you craft, um, you know, but it's also founded on some basis of, of you know, a foundation, if you will. So anyway, I was I was excited to, to bring this together as we're nearing the end and you took it away from me. Sorry, it, I'm so sorry. No, it totally makes sense. And actually, I, I wish we started here because um, I have a million questions, but but I have to imagine your palate um, has gotten really, really precise over the years, right? Where like you can taste that double and yeast and be like, oh no, we, we should have done this. We should have added that, right? Whereas yeah, it, it really makes me feel like I need to spend more time in the kitchen. <laughs> but that's sort of my goal with teaching people uh, how to cook and not just a specific recipe. In my videos on YouTube, I always try to incorporate kind of more general tips or explain the why behind something so that you can use those tips and the little strategies in your daily cooking, even if you're not making one of my recipes, so that when you are just throwing together a dish on your own, you know, oh, I remember Nisha saying like, if it tastes a little flat, maybe finish with acid. So maybe I'm going to add some lemon juice or red wine vinegar here and see how that goes. Because like, while it's fun to follow a recipe, I think the most rewarding part is if you can start cooking for yourself, enjoyable meals that feed you and your family without having to rely on a recipe. And so hopefully people who watch my channel will, will get a little bit of that. Yeah. It's so impressive. I mean, when I I obviously see my my wife too and she's throwing all these spices together and it somehow comes together you know it's an amazing thing um i i have a profound appreciation for for what you can do in the kitchen and i'm really grateful for you showing us a little bit of behind the curtains um yeah, one last question two questions two quick ones as we wrap up um uh, if folks want to find you um they should google rainbow plant life Right. Or go to Instagram sure. at Rainbow Plant Life, YouTube, Rainbow Plant Life. Um, yep. Where did Rainbow Plants Life come from? Yeah, that's a good question. So when I went vegan, I was just so struck by how colorful my diet became. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the rainbow. I've always been really attracted to color. If you look at like my food photography, you probably can figure that out. I just love how color like interacts with each other, different colors interact with each other. Uh, plant you know, vegan, uh, life just kind of felt like it had a nice flow, but also like I'm vegan as part of my lifestyle, right? Like it's not a diet. And so for me, it's like, this is how I live my life. That's awesome. And if you had uh, a symbolic billboard to get out to hundreds of thousands of folks, um, who maybe aren't watching your channel every day. Um, but, but, uh, but a message that you want to leave our community with. Um, is there something that comes to mind, uh, a parting word, something you'd want to put on that billboard to inspire or make someone think or hmm. visit rainbowplantlife.com? No. <laughs> that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Um, okay. So I'm on the spot. I don't have I didn't like plan this out. So let's, I'm going to say plants are more delicious than you think. Cause I think there's this, huh. I don't know. There's this, there's a stereotype. There's a reluctance to eat plant-based food because it's 
bland because it's not satisfying because it's boring, all these different things. And I think that if people are just willing to keep an open mind and get a little creative in the kitchen, plants can like surprise you so much. Like I, that one of the things I think that is not talked about a lot is that being vegan, going vegan, I think can make you a much better cook. Like before I went, became vegan, I feel like I was a good cook, but I cooked a lot of the same things and I anchored my meals around. Okay. Well, now I have a chicken breast. What else can I do with it? And cooking plants, you're just not, you're not limited in the same way. So you can think in so many different ways. Like if you have a fennel, like, do you want to roast it? Do you want to shave it thinly and make a salad? Do you want to caramelize it in a pan? Do you want to like grate it? I don't know. Like there's just so many things you can do with plants that you can't do with animal products. And so I think that if you give plants a chance, they will absolutely surprise and delay you. Give plants a chance. I like that too. (laughs) Um, that's awesome. And so true. It's, it's a perfect way to wrap this up because what you are doing, you know, is actively combating that, that stereotype, right? Cause we've all been to that, that, um, crunchy, you know, granola, uh, vegan restaurant. And it's like, you know, my kind of food, right? Like just fuel. Um, but then we've been to those just delicious, um, vegan restaurants and can just totally change someone's heart and mind. So, um, thank you for, for all you do to, to advance our shared mission. And, um, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. It was great to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt.